Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. We are continuing in our series of uh, the definition of uh, words and terms that are near and dear to the heart of those of us in the healing journey of recovery from sexual sin and addiction. And uh, this is our third week in this series, and we're going to move on to, you know, we, we never know when we start this show how far we're going to get. Well, we? that's the interesting part of this, because some of these words really catapult us into a deeper discussion of, of the many aspects of these words. We're talking about a list that contains about 50 words, by the way, just so the right. listeners know. So far, we've covered about five or six. <laughs> right, exactly. So anyway, okay, today we're going to start. We're in the bees. Okay. We're in the bees. The word today will uh, be familiar, and that is the word boundaries. Back when I went to treatment, uh, I was instructed uh, to think about this for really the first time I knew the word, of course. And generally, when we think about boundaries, we think about geographic uh, definitions of things. There's a state line between uh, Minnesota and Iowa. That's a boundary. Our property line of our houses is a boundary. In fact, since I speak German, there's no word in German to define this word the way we're going to define it. The only way, when I've been in Germany and tried to give lectures on this in German, the only German word that applies is the uh, word Grenzen, which refers to a geographical boundary. Now, what happens these days, given our small and shrinking world, is that the Germans have now adopted the word boundaries. So if you're lecturing over in Germany, you can just use the word boundaries, and Germans will kind of generally understand that. Boundaries, as it applies to our field, generally refers to uh, rules in a way that that keep uh, a system safe. A system meaning a group of people, a family, a church, a school, a club, an organization, a neighborhood, a society, you know, a community, whatever. They are the rules of conduct. They they really define things that should happen and things that should not happen. Well, it, it's the kind of word that would more than apply when you're looking at the, the types of situations that we deal with here at Faithful and True because most boundaries have been shattered by the behavior uh, of, of the right. husband. That's right. So, you know, they have violated lots of boundaries. There are different levels of boundary. Uh, we talk about moral boundaries. You know, that's the ones that, you know, the average addict has crossed all the time. There are just some practical boundaries sometimes. You set a boundary with uh, Sherry Troutman, our administrator, before we started taping this show. Uh, you said, you went next door and you said no loud talking or laughing during the recording of the show, did you not? <laughs> no, I didn't put it that way. Uh, <laughs> 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 I... Uh, uh, we we were uh, we were picking up on uh, Sherry has a fantastic laugh, and she was conversing with someone on the phone on the other side of the wall from us, and uh, uh, she was soon to become a part of our show as we were recording. Well, yeah, I'm just giving a more uh, obvious example. I mean, so when we record this show, we put a little sign up on the door 
that says recording in progress. And that means don't be knocking on the door. Don't be opening the door. Don't be coming in here. Don't be holding frat parties out in the hallway. That is exactly right. So, you know, you can think about things that don't have, you know, eternal significance to them like that. Um, But that's a good example of, you know, it's kind of stating a request, a need, a rule. You know, please do not cross this boundary. Do not open this door. Do not raise your voice. You know, those are some common things. When we talk about deeper moral boundaries, we're talking about do not lust after another woman even in your own heart. That's a boundary that Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 5. The commandments are really about, the Ten Commandments are really about boundaries. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so forth. So, you know, those are moral boundaries. That Those are God's laws. Those are God's boundaries that he's clearly stated to us. So we can go really deep and really serious about this. By the way, God says, you know, uh, uh, thou shalt not commit it, what? Adultery. So um, that is, in fact, the moral boundary that the men that we work with have crossed. So in other words, we could rename the Ten Commandments the Ten Boundaries. Thank you, Randy. Why don't you take that up in your personal prayer time? <laughs> let, me, let me see how far I'll get with that. I'll, uh... <laughs> well, you know, we, we don't want to mess a lot with uh, things that have become general parlance, like commandment, but commandment kind of... Um, emphasizes how strict, actually, a boundary this is. Right. And if it's God's commandment, that's about as strict as it gets. Uh, do you help them define their boundaries within their relationship, or is that something that just kind of happens by nature? No, that's something that we're going to be talking with all couples about in terms of the real purpose of a boundary, I think, is to establish safety. So when we're working with couples, we certainly want to help them establish safety in the relationship. So for an example, we do uh, help at our couples workshop them come up with what we call a safe communication contract. And in part, that safe communication contract is a statement of healthy boundaries about how we communicate. There will be no yelling. There will be no screaming. There will be no profanity. Uh, There will be no name calling. Uh, There will be no recitation of the 25 historical events that prove my point. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That I'm more than happy to share with you. Yes, that's right, and which I've kept uh, in my filing cabinet for for a time just uh, such as this. So, you know, we we basically uh, talk about uh, things that, that should not happen. A boundary talks about things that should not happen, but it also talks about things that should happen. So, you know, with couples, we're going to want them to establish uh, a time of convenience, but also a time when it's more likely that they're capable of having uh, safe conversations. One of Debbie's and my boundaries was we would not have any of our more heated conversations in front of the children. What we found helpful was, uh, particularly as they got older, we could uh, walk down our street to uh, the McDonald's on the corner and uh, We found that we were much uh, more likely to have healthy conversations when we were in public like that at a McDonald's and we were drinking coffee. That the caffeine was, in a way, uh, you know, part of our ability to have a healthier conversation. So, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to make the point with couples that there are positive things that we do, those are boundaries. There are negative things that we don't do, those are also boundaries. Are the men that you work with usually well aware of the boundaries that they have violated? I think, and sometimes in the early level, they have so rationalized, minimized, justified 
that we do have to help them see the severity of boundary crossing that they've done. Right. And and their wives' perspective yes. on on their actions carry a whole different message than they may have, you know, preconceived. That's right. Oh, that's interesting. Well, uh, let's take our break at this point and when we come back, uh, we'll take a, a a look at the next word on your list there and uh, we'll continue this conversation on the Menavella program. By the strength of my own hand I just temporary kingdoms on foundations made of sand In the middle of a battle Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, Randy, is um, also, uh, like last week's was, given to us uh, by our female staff here who work with wives all the time. And uh, so, as some of our listeners will know, we occasionally talk about not just things that are triggering to uh, the sex addict, but also things that might be triggering to the spouse. And today should be a rather obvious one, I think. uh, the situation that they meant uh, that they mentioned is, uh, let's say we're out having dinner at a restaurant, and uh, the waitress uh, comes up, and let's say it's the husband that's a sex addict, and he engages in banter or uh, what might otherwise be interpreted as flirtatious kinds of comments, joking, teasing uh, with the uh, with the waitress. Obviously, that kind of flirtation, even though the husband might say, "Well, you know." I'm not in the middle of one of my uh, rituals. I, I didn't say anything totally inappropriate. But just the act of being nice to another woman, let's put it that way, 
could be very triggering to the average spouse. Well, you've seen it happen uh, in public yourself, sitting there and seeing a, a gentleman who has taken the relationship with a, wait, a waitress to yeah. a whole different level than your, you know, even to the point of you'll see him reach over, you know, and touch her arm or something like that, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when you know, see that that's headed in a really dangerous direction. Well, we've had a lot of situations over the years where the wife has actually left the restaurant because of, you know, such a experience like that. Yeah, and he's going to plead his case as being entirely, uh, you know, innocent, that right. I'm just being friendly. Right. And there is a, there's a distinct line between being polite and friendly, you know, and, uh, and trying to engage with, uh, with the waitress. Well, I think that's the right way to look <clears throat> at it. It's the distinction between being polite and civil and being overly socially friendly. That's exactly right. Well, back to our show and back to the, the next term uh, that we're discussing on today's show. Well, we just finished with boundaries. And by the way, to make the segue, uh, the trigger of the week in the restaurant that we were talking about is crossing a boundary. It's getting too flirtatious uh, with a waitress. All right, the next word on the list uh, was one that we covered in our first show, and that's the word codependency. So we'll move on from that one. If you uh, are interested in that one, you know, uh, go to our archives and retrieve that show. The next term is co-addiction. You'll notice, of course, here that codependency and co-addiction oftentimes get confused. Uh, Co-addiction is uh, really describing anybody who lives with an addict. Uh, We say that uh, if you live with an addict, you're a co-addict. I would say, by the way, this is a term that you'll hear out there a lot. It's not a term that we use here anymore. So um, it's a term that's a dead term as far as we're concerned. Just because a wife is living with an addict uh, in a marital relationship does not make her a co-addict. We just think it's a totally misleading term. It sounds like she's a part of the problem. It sounds like she is a part of the problem, or that she should be blamed, or that she must struggle with uh, you know, her own addictions or something like that. She's, uh, it's like co-conspirator. She's like a co-addict. Yeah, she's uh, in on it. She's yeah. somehow in on it, contributing to it, enabling it, and that kind of thing. I think if some of those dynamics are present, that would be more what we would consider codependency. Codependency is a better term. Co-addict is, is a term that, it, uh, you know, uh, we just, I don't know how else to say it. We just don't use it anymore. Right. But you, the only reason I'm mentioning it today is because I do think you'll go to support group meetings out there in the world and you will hear this term being thrown around all the time. Well, which makes it that much more important to understand the true meaning of the word. That's right. That is right. There's so much confusion sometimes about some of these words. I think, you know, bottom line, we talked about that one in our last show. Bottom line, uh, as a couple, uh, it's best to have safe conversations with each other about, uh, when you think about the term co-addict, it's kind of like a diagnostic term. What is the purpose of a diagnostic term? Well, it's to accept the fact that I have a problem and to seek effective treatment for it. So I think it's better for a couple to have a conversation about what are the uh, issues that they're dealing with. How would they, in fact, seek to uh, label or categorize or you know put some kind of diagnosis of something on themselves? By, by the way, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the worst thing that could happen with any of these terms is for one person to uh, slap it on another person. I think, you know, if, if a label applies to us or a diagnosis applies to us, we should be owning that. 
Why? For the purpose of uh, finding effective um, treatment and healing from whatever that represents. Now, having said all this again, I would hope that uh, this term co-addict is one that nobody out there in our audience will use uh, uh, for themselves. Are you ready to move on, Randy? I am I'm totally ready. You could be my co-addict on this show. You could be my co-conspirator. You could be my co-dependent. You could be lots of things, but I'll never call you a co-addict. Well, I do have boundaries, so. There you go. So That's a bottom line. That is a bottom line. <laughs> Very good, Randy. Um, there will be a test about all of this. I was going to say, yeah. there's going to be a quiz at the end. I can just, I can just feel it coming on. <laughs> the next uh, term on our list, now we're into the, uh, the uh, C's, uh, is uh, compartmentalizing. How many of the people who are listening would say that there are times in their lives when they actually are able to you know, easily recognize that they are compartmentalized? Sometimes uh, this word is a is a more accurate term to uh, describe the dynamic that is often called in our field a double life, meaning that uh, I know that for myself, I had a double life. Uh, I was compartmentalized in that there were compartments of myself. There was the uh, father uh, compartment, which I think I was fairly good at. There was the husband compartment. There was the professional uh, compartment in which I was you know, doing counseling. There was the ministry compartment in which I preached to churches on Sundays. And then there was the, uh, the um, sexual addiction compartment. Uh, I let the, the world out there see most of those compartments. I, I let them see me as a husband and father and counselor and preacher and teacher, but I never would let them see this other compartment of mine, which was the sexually addicted compartment. Uh, it's it's a way of having you know um, many lives. We're not talking though about multiple personality disorder. We're not talking about you know schizophrenia here. We're talking about the fact that the average person has different life situations in which they have almost a different uh, uh, character. You know when they're in that compartment of themselves. But doesn't that add to the stress of being someone involved in sexual addiction like that? Yeah. It, it's like. Uh, trying to organize uh, and maintain your secrets. That's right. So there's, you know, the way to maintain the secret compartment is to cover up, lie, hide, deceive, and all of that. Uh, so yes, there's there's a lot of inherently negative behaviors associated with. Uh, maintaining our hidden compartments. Well, at the time that you're going through um, this entire phase of sexual addiction, you know, it's that dirty little secret that you don't want the rest of the world, especially your wife or family, and, you know, to be uh, aware of. Right. I think I've used this example on the show before, but I think one of my favorite uh, examples of this compartmentalizing this happened years and years ago, probably 20 or more years ago, when one of the guys who came to our workshops back in those days, he, he said, uh, my life is like my house. I have a lot of rooms in my house, and uh, uh, I am a Christian, and I have invited Jesus into my house. I heard the scripture, lo, I stand at the door and knock, you know, and uh, I let him in. I let him into the house, and I said, Lord, you can go into that room and this room and that room. You're welcome to stay in the family room. You're welcome to be in the family room, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, th this room over here that's my personal office and has my personal computer in there, 
don't be going in there, Lord. You know, so in other words, you can have control of my life in all these other rooms, but not that room. And that's compartmentalizing, isn't it? Uh, so uh, I think a lot of the guys that come here uh, as Christians are, in fact, fully Christian. They've, they've fully uh, come to believe in faith in Christ and what he did for us. And, uh, and at other areas of their life, they don't act like it. And they may not act like it at work. They have a work compartment. And they go to work and they socialize and drink and flirt and do all kind of stuff. Then they come home and that's, their, that's the family compartment. I think recovery is all about becoming integrated so that uh, the man that God calls you to be or the woman that God calls you to be, you're, you're integrated. You have uh, integrity, meaning that you're the same in all areas of your life. You're a person of honor and fidelity and honesty and so forth in all areas of your life. And so is it your goal, if you're working with someone who you are uh, observing has their life very compartmentalized, are you trying to knock down those walls? Are you trying to get them to uh, open their life up so their, their life is more of an open book, especially in their relationship with their spouse? That's right. We're, we're trying to teach them how to be uh, brutally honest, uh, truth-tellers, uh, and to learn how to share and take risks, be more intimate, uh, and open up these secret compartments in their life, open up their heart, open up their mind to be known. I think part of this whole decompartmentalizing is to uh, to be known in all aspects of your life. I think it's fairly common when you see an individual who has really two different personas, their, their at-home persona and their in-the-workplace persona. You know, that's, is that part of compartmentalizing their well, life? Somewhat. I mean, I think that's a, that's a more minor form of it. I mean, I think uh, there's been times when uh, I've had a relationship with a person or a friendship with a person who just knows me, you know, over coffee or at church or whatever. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm generally kind of a laid-back guy, kind of uh, not that talkative at points. Um, if you put me up on a stage... <laughs> as. <laughs> I why are you laughing? Well, because I've been there so often that there's there's a I refer to it as your switch. You have a light switch, and 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 uh, currently you and I are traveling the United States with the fight of your life event. And uh, five minutes before you take the stage, there is there's this gentleman in front of me who's concerned about a number of of uh, of issues, uh, and your that foot hits the the stage and the light switch gets turned on and it's uh you know you have that side of your personality just kicks into gear and you would never know that you were worried uh is there enough material for this first session yeah. am i going to be running late how's my blood sugar yeah. uh you know all of these things that are weighing on your mind before you step up there right. they just seem to disappear and and the star of the show steps up so it's all it's kind of it's it's really kind of inspiring to to be there to watch it happen now, even though I may have different energy levels for different things, I would like to think that my, uh, my honor, my integrity, being the man that God calls me to be is consistent in all of those areas. Uh, I think where compartmentalizing is damaging is when we are doing sinful things in one of those compartments. And we're keeping that a secret. We have secret compartments. Right. Well, um, 
What is the next term? We have, uh, again, we have time for, for one more term for us to share today, and uh, then we will, uh, we will move on and uh, rejoin our listeners next week. Well, I think that, uh, let me skip one, because the next one could take a long time. Crosstalk is one of the next terms. Okay. Uh, crosstalk is a term that's uh, oftentimes used in accountability meetings or support group meetings. When um, it happened, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it happened last night in our Tuesday night group. We had a, uh, uh, one of our guys that was very serious about talking about uh, one of uh, uh, his core issues. And one of the other guys cut him off and started giving him advice. He got pretty triggered by that because guess what? When he was growing up, his mother and father used to cut him off all the time and basically tell him they didn't want to listen to it and children are to be seen and not heard. And uh, occasionally that meant getting hit, slapped, shoved, pushed, spanked, and called various names. So when this guy who was actually sitting next to him cut him off and uh, started giving advice, uh, that was a huge trigger. That is what we call crosstalk. And uh, crosstalk is, I think, commonly thought of as uh, I'm giving advice and I should be just listening. And though at the heart of the matter, isn't the individual trying to be helpful? Or are they trying to be helpful with well, the advice? Yes, I think that's, you know, we're all over the fact here at Faithful and True that the intent of the heart, I think, was good. So right, right. Don't, don't mistake that. I think he was wanting and trying to be helpful. When these two guys were able to talk about this, it turned out that they both had similar core issues right. growing up. And the one guy who had been interrupted all the time was being interrupted by a guy who had learned the only way to be heard is to interrupt. Okay. Isn't okay. that interesting? Right. So down at the heart of it, back to their families, they both were able to understand that neither one of them ever was heard and understood. And that you know they both experienced parents who just told them in a rigid black and white way what they should do and not do. So um, a lot of times, you know, uh, when we, we, we're listening to people, if, if speaking of that, our listeners, I mean, have you ever been listening to somebody and you've said uh, they like to talk a whole lot more than I like to listen, they, they could be people who are interruptive, you know, overly advice-giving, talk, talk way too long. Uh, that's generally what I would think of when I think of crosstalk. You can crosstalk now because... The time has come to thank you for listening to us today. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. My name is Randy Everett. I'm your co-host. We're here at Faithful and True, and we certainly want to invite you to visit our website, faithfulandtrue.com, where you can access many available resources to you. Uh, aside from the Men of Valor program, we have uh, an online bookstore with uh, the books and uh, CDs and downloadable audio files available to you as well as all of the information about our three-day intensive workshops. We look forward to joining you again next week, and until then, have a great week. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.